Here we are now, with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. Hello, how are you today? Today I'd like to speak about astrology. Bun dun dun Astrology. Is astrology true? That is our question of the day. And the answer is, yes, it is. Oh, come on now, Dosta. You've got to be joking. Don't tell me you believe in all that. Well, I say, yes, astrology is true in exactly the same way that everything is true. Have you realized that yet? That everything, and I mean everything, is true. What could you possibly mean by that, Doster? I hear you say. And I say, well, I say everything is true, just depending on which way you look at it. And you go, oh, now I see what you're saying. So you're telling me that according to a certain set of parameters and presuppositions within limited contexts, and I squint my eye and turn my head, then in that way, Astrology is true. And I say, yes, you've got it right on. And today we weed into, we wade into the weeds. We go into those presuppositions. And there's a few things you're going to need on this journey. (laughs) I'm laughing because I know what's coming. Maybe you'll be laughing too in a few moments. Maybe not. For today's conversation, there are a couple of things you'll need. One is your suggestibility muscle. That means you've got to be open-minded. You've got to listen attentively, as you always do. You're also going to need your metaphorical thinking as we've got a bit of a metaphor for today, which will help us understand how astrology is true and how it is applicable. And really, when we look at suggestibility or open-mindedness and metaphorical thinking, they're really pretty much the same thing. If you look at it in a certain way, if you squint your eye and turn your head, and understand your presuppositions. And then the third thing we need for today is our developmental psychology toolkit. This means our spiral dynamics, our Gene Gebser, our Eric Erickson, our Abraham Maslow, and all those wonderful cats that we've been speaking about. And if you don't have a good toolkit for developmental psychology, then no matter, 
That's not really too important. It's not so much as important as the first two things we need, which is our suggestibility and our metaphorical thinking. Now, it might be that I ask you, do you believe in astrology? Horoscopes, reading the star signs, that sort of stuff. And you say, no, it's been outdated by science, Doster. It's been proven wrong. I'm a rationalist. I believe in scientific empiricism. And to this I say, well, what day of the week is it? You say, well, it's Wednesday. Well, actually, I don't know what day it is. Maybe it's Friday. Maybe it's Tuesday. I've actually lost track of what day it is a long time ago, if you know me personally. And then I say, well, why, why are you calling the days, days of the week that? Why are you naming them after these Greek gods, these ancient gods, which we know are not true? Those gods are not true, and yet you're still using the days of the week named after these gods. Or these planets. And why are there seven days in a week? And well, the answer is because there's four weeks in the lunar cycle. And there are four stages to the moon cycle. And when I say moon cycle, I mean both for the woman and the actual moon. Now, there's something funny in that, isn't there? Hold on just a second. Which one is it? Is it the moon that's going around planet Earth? Or is it a woman's moon cycle? Which determines that there's four parts to the month and seven days to the week. And we could say, well, this is a fork in the road. This is the fork in the road where science, astronomy, astrology, and at a certain point in history, the scientists took over and the astrologers branched off from the psychologists or the witch doctors that are predicting the future and saying things about, well, if there's a correlation between a woman's menstrual cycle and the stars oh my computer just made a noise don't know what it means where was i now if there's a correlation between the woman's menstrual cycle and the stars well by that logic by that rationale we can say that everything on planet earth has a correlation with something in the stars and off we go with our horoscopes. Kaboom goes the explosion of complexity and the processes. And there are all sorts of processes to astrology. And there are all sorts of ways that people go about it. And there's a whole history there. There's a whole depth there. And really, we're not going into that. We're not going into that here. That's for you to do. That's for you to figure out. What we're doing here is we're seeing how astrology fits into a bigger picture. And imagine this. Imagine like the 
kid is brought up in a family or a culture to believe in certain days of the week and certain Greek gods. And at a certain age, he becomes a rationalist. And he says, I don't believe in those Greek gods anymore. I don't believe in all that. I'm an atheist. And then he goes off and he lives his young adult life and he eventually goes to university and he decides to do a philosophy degree. And in this philosophy degree, he finds out that the days of the week are named after planets. Now, at this moment, he becomes outraged and he says, no, this is wrong. This is not right. I'm not going to call Monday Monday anymore. Monday is no longer the name for Monday. I'm going to make up some other name. And there are no longer seven days into the week. Why should we have this revolving around the women's menstrual cycles or even the moon? To hell with this astrology and this astronomy. Let's make up our own names for things. And that would be a reaction that basically no one would have. And it would be very strange for someone to have that sort of reaction. His classmates would be sitting in the philosophy class saying, well, you're in this philosophy degree and this, this term is Greek philosophy. This, this, this term is the Greek gods. Greek mythology, I should say, not Greek philosophy. And I'd say, well, we'll meet you at class on Monday next week and we're all going to call it Monday, but you're not. So just turn up on time. You can call it what you want. And that student, if they're going to keep peddling this, they're going to really struggle with their worldview fitting in with the terms and the meanings and the things that are around them and their whole perspective and understanding how other perspectives flow into their perspective. And it might come to the point that this student just says, you know what, it's just easier if I just call Monday, Monday. And that's something to remember. That's something that we need to understand, which is that at a certain point, you know that things are called certain things basically because of mere chance, because of how human history unfolded. And you see that it could have been another way, and you see that it might have been wrong for the reasons to have been called what it was, whatever it is, and yet you still decide to go along with it. And that's something to keep in mind. And that's a that's a nuanced kind of truth. That's not the same as the person who is going around saying, well, actually, the days of the week are named after ancient gods that are actually real and actual planets. The gods have the correlatory planets. Zeus and Odin and Thor... And the list goes on. So keep that in mind. And now, now let's get into our core metaphor. And this is something that can help you with your understanding of quite a few things which are easy to confuse. 
And for each term that I use here, there's a disclaimer or there's a, a flag that you need, which is when you hear these terms, which I'm about to use, spoken about by someone else, there's a good chance that they will be using these terms with a different meaning to what I'm using it here today. And that's not because there are contradictions within these terms. It's because these terms are so rich and complex. So keep that in mind and don't take these definitions to be final. And don't think that because someone else is using these terms, they have the same definition as what we're presenting here today. So keep this conversation as self-contained. <laughs> There's another little bit of irony seeping through here. <laughs> Maybe you'll get this joke if you listen to this episode twice. It's a self-contained conversation. <laughs> I really should stop laughing at myself so much and just explain the jokes or at least share the jokes. <laughs> Maybe it's not quite so funny if you have to explain the joke. Okay, so the three key terms we want to dissect that are under the chopping block right now is one is ego. Another is the self. And another is the sense of self. And these are three things that we are going to understand and we're going to relate it to this question of astrology. So for our metaphor of the day, what we're going to do is we're going to get on a train. And this will be our train ride from Montreal to Toronto. So if you've ever been to Canada, Montreal is one of the main cities and Toronto is one of the main cities. It's about a five-hour train ride. And what we're going to say is that there are stations for each year of life that you have lived. And we're going to say that you're about 30 years old. Somewhere around you might be 28, 29, 30, 31, something like that. But there's roughly 13 stops along this train trip from Montreal to Toronto. What's the capital of Canada? Is it Montreal or Toronto? No, it's neither. It's Ottawa, 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 Ottawa. That's like in Australia here. When I go traveling and I tell people I go, I'm from Australia, they say, oh, what's the capital? Is it Sydney or Melbourne? And I go, it's neither. It's Canberra. And they go, Canberra, Canberra. Never heard of Canberra. I thought Melbourne, Australia was the capital. Must have been Melbourne or Sydney. They're the biggest cities. And they say, no, Melbourne and Sydney couldn't decide between themselves, so they put one right in the middle. Is that what happened between Montreal and Toronto? Is that why there's this capital, which is a smaller city? I don't know if it's a smaller city population-wise, but... Okay, this is off topic. We're on our train, 
and we're going from Montreal to Toronto. And each station is one year of life. And at a certain age, which is around the age 11, 12, 13, so we're on the 13th station, the child's ego is going to be born. They're going to have a very strong ego. They're going to be building a sense of autonomy, a sense of choice, a sense of decision-making, a sense of deciding what's right and wrong, deciding what's true or not true, deciding what they like, what they don't like. And they're going to be forming an identity and they're going to be going into their role confusion. And this basically is the early rationalist stage. And this is the stage where if you want to convince a child of something, you have to start giving them reasons. Now, before this stage, they would be in the mythic stage. And to convince them, you'd need to give them a story. And you'd say, well, one day this came along and that came along. And before that, they'd be in the archaic stage and you'd just tell them and they would just take it. They wouldn't even need a reason or a story. You'd just tell them the truth or you just tell them anything, and they believe it. That's the truth. What daddy says is true is true. And at the age of 11 or 12, that's the stage where they're becoming rational. Now, if you go to your astrology reading and you ask for a rational explanation, then it's not going to fit in the same way that a mythic explanation is. It's also not going to fit in the same way that a magical or an archaic explanation is. Which is why, at around that age, kids start to question their astrology readings. A little bit further along, when they're becoming more mature, and their ego is really fully fledged, and their rationalism is at the center of them, they're going to be around the age... 15, 16, something like this, well, then they're going to be saying, well, if the astrology reading isn't right, what if my religion isn't right? What if my culture isn't right? And they'll be saying, Daddy, why, why did Jesus come to die on the cross for me? Daddy, why did so-and-so from the Bhagavad Gita turn out this way? Well, they wouldn't be saying, Daddy. Maybe having serious conversations. And just like the child back when they are maybe four or five years old stops believing in the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and who else is there? The Tooth Fairy. Those were the those were basically the three big ones for me. So the Tooth Fairy. Easter Bunny and you get presents from Santa, you get money under your pillow from the Tooth Fairy if you put your tooth under, and then you get Easter eggs from the Easter Bunny. At a certain point, the kids are going to say like, okay, I can see what's going on here. I can see there's a different explanation. And the world that I'm in, the physical world, isn't lining up with the story or the, the I shouldn't say story because that implies the mythic stage of development, which is around ages six to nine. 
psychology. Their psychology isn't mapping with what's going on. And so we're on this train and we're going through these stages and each station changes what the person believes about the psychology and the place they've grown up in. And what normally occurs is we're on this train trip and each station we're getting on got getting off. Once we reach a certain age, we get off and we get a psychology and then we get back on, but we keep going to the next stations. Remember, this is station 1516. We're only halfway to Toronto from here. But we get back on the station and then the following stations, the next 15 or so stations after that, we're interpreting what is there from our rationalist psychology. We are holding on to our atheism. We're holding on to our beliefs, which have already gone through some transformations. They've already evolved certain ways. And yet... They're stuck with this. And there's a correlation to be made between Richard Dawkins and what he says about astrology and the older sister who explains to her so gullible younger brother who's just a few years younger that, well, actually, little brother... The Easter Bunny doesn't exist. Mum and Dad just put money under there. And actually, little brother, Santa Claus doesn't exist. Mum and Dad put the presents in the stockings. And of course, little brother, you're so gullible that you fell for these and you even also fell for the Easter Bunny. And you can see that difference there between the older sister who's at about the age of eight or nine, explaining to her little brother, who's at about the age of four or five, and they're at that difference, they're explaining, well, no, this is what's true, this is how things really are, is a very small difference. It's only a few stations. Here we've got 30 stations. We're going from Montreal to Toronto. And Richard Dawkins, well, he's a bit further along. And he's only really explaining something quite simply to someone who's only a few levels below him. And you can see right now that I'm doing the same thing. Right now, we're having a pluralistic conversation, which is multiple world perspectives. We're using our vision to go into different levels. And that level that, that we're at now, this exact level that we're talking at, is only a few steps above where Richard Dawkins is with his rationalist, empirical scientist way of explaining reality. Now there is a, let me just add it in a quick sort of side plot, which is that between each station, you need to collect certain things. Like we're getting off and on the train at each stop, and there are certain things to learn. 
And this is how people get stuck at certain stations and then hold it with them, the lessons or the psychology, while they still go on to further ones. And so let's say we get one of these children who are at about the age of six or seven, and it's their pre-ego. So they haven't got a strong ego. Well, then they're sort of, they're sort of, uh, how do we say this? They are, they're driven by impulse. They're driven by not so much as emotions in the word. See, emotions is not the right word here because at each station, emotion means a different thing. So let's just use the word impulse. They have these, and, and also the word desire comes to mind, but the word desire is also not quite right. That's sort of further along in our later stages. So let's say this child has these impulses and it's making them act erratically. Now, what a parent can do is come along and impose their beliefs of, oh, why you should act a certain way. And they would say, oh, it's because of God or it's because of this or it's because of that. And you could say, well, that's cultural conditioning and that's a lie. Or you could say, well, actually, no, that's what the child needs in order to understand their impulses and to conform and to be traditional and have conservative values and to go from one station to the next. And that station is between, if we're talking about spiral dynamics, we're talking about going from red to blue. So the red is the passion. The red is the fire. It's the impulse. And it's usually around the ages of seven or eight that a child goes through this. And then after eight, they get the conservative values, the role conformity, follow the rules, be a good child. And that's when the child is starting to actually be able to say, well, actually, I can be a good child. I am a good child. And after a while, they've been conforming and they say, yes, very good, very good. I am very good. I will be very good. Me, me, me. And then... You can even hear with the way that we're talking about it. It's me, I. That's the birth of the ego. So this is all quite complicated when we look at all the different backs and forths. And there are so many different variables that it can account for why people are so different. And everyone evolves through these stages so differently. And the ages are really just a, just a guide. And the next thing we'd like to talk about, or I'd like to really get into, is this thing of the self. Now, if we're saying that in this conversation, ego is something that is born from the ages of around 11 till whenever they grow out of their rationalism, then the self is the actual train. The self is the thing that's taking them from station to station. So you realize that the train is the same all the way through at every station, from Montreal to Toronto. And that's the thing that, well, people confuse when they talk about the ego and the sense of self because they collapse the two. So can you transcend the ego 
Well, in this model, it's not actually that very hard. Can you transcend the self? Well, actually, you can. And that's different to transcending ego. Now, the metaphorical equivalent of transcending the self would mean that, let, let's say this train, it's going along and it has doors on the left side and the right side. And as city planning turned out, the station always opens on the right-hand side. So we're going down from Montreal to Toronto, and every time we stop at a station, the doors open on the right-hand side, and we get out onto the platform and we do our midlife crises, we do our paradigm shifts, we do our new perspective clashes and our dramas and our arguments and our things that give us psychological growth, and then we get back onto the train and keep going. Transcending the sense of self would mean that we find a special key. And this key is hidden. It's not common knowledge. And this key is the key that we can use to open the left-hand side of the train. And it takes a bit of knowledge to really do that. Because who would be looking for a key to open the wrong side of the door of the train? And who would think to use the key if they did find it? And what can happen is, at any station, a person can have a transcendence experience. Maslow would call this a peak experience. Ken Wilber might call it a non-dual experience. And what happens is, well, you go out the door and you climb down. You have to climb down because the train is still quite high onto the tracks, across the tracks, and you walk off into the distance for a bit. And then you can step back and you can see things. You actually see things more clearly. And you can see, ah, this train is actually quite long. This train has carriages, which I haven't been to. I can change carriages in this train. And I see that we're at a station. And the station connects to other things. And I can see so much of the tracks. Usually we're on the tracks and we're just traveling them. But now that I've come all this way back out and I've walked off into the distance just to take a look, I see that the train seems so much smaller and the tracks are very long. And if that person walks far enough off the wrong side of the train, they, they might even be able to squint into the distance and actually see the next station. And they say, whoa, I can see so much at once. And this is the perfect analogy of a transcendence a transcendent experience, an experience of transcending the self or a sense of sense of self being dropped. Now, what's going to happen is after this experience, they're going to walk all the way back onto the train, climb up in the left-hand side of the doors, close the doors, and then they will be talking about their experience. 
and they will only be able to talk about the experience in a way that is contingent on the number of stations they have already visited. Which means, if they've visited the station only up to a rationalist... Sorry, let me just check. Where was I? If they've, if they've visited only up to the rationalist stage of development and then they have this experience, they're then going to come back and explain it in rationalist terms. And this gets at the point of, well, translation. And translation, well, that's a metaphor. If we can say we're using this metaphorically here where there are differences in how things are spoken about, which collapses the original expression of what something was being spoken about. And so, when we have our astrology, the person who is the rationalist is walking around saying, those horoscopes are so wrong because they're not explaining it in the way that I want it to be explained. And the rationalist doesn't understand that these horoscopes come from a completely different set of stations. They come from a completely different language. And they come from a completely different psychological perspective. So we need another metaphor to help us with this train trip. And we're going to go from... I'm going to leave the train aside for a moment and talk about a road. This is a hypothetical road. It's a thought experiment meets hypothetical, metaphorical, extrapolating, abstract thought. Exercise, pre-condensed. So let's say we have East Coast America. And on this East Coast, there's only one road over near North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York. Let's say we're in New York and there's one road that's heading west. It's heading right across from New York to San Francisco. And it can be a two-way road. I'm not saying that everyone should leave New York. We're not saying there's one road out of New York. <laughs> but let's just say there's one road. It heads out of New York. And then once it gets to about Ohio, so a little bit along the way, it forks and it splits. There's a split in the road. Now, you remember earlier in this conversation when we were talking about where science, astrology, and psychology mer uh, split and they become different disciplines? Well, that's the metaphor that we're using here. This is the same thing. So this road then splits into two, and they go off, and they split into three, and they also split, split into more and more, and they double and they double, 
And by the time you get to the middle of America, South Dakota, Nebraska, Texas, half the continent is basically made up of all these winding roads. And there are bridges and there are ups and downs and there are ins and outs and they're all over the places. And they keep splitting and they keep becoming narrower and narrower and more and more detailed. And it's a perfect gradation of one road at New York City all the way across to the, by the time we get to Washington, Oregon, California, the whole West Coast, that the West Coast is entirely made of bitumen. It's entirely made of tar, which means it's one road which covers the whole region. And between these two sides, which is a, sing- a single road, like two-lane two road out of New York and an entire west coast, which is covered in bitumen, there are complexes, there are forks, there are detours, there are avenues, there are ins and there are outs. And of course, the actual roads aren't set up like this. The actual, actual roads are a bit more complicated. But let's just, this is our thought experiment. Now, what we're doing here is we're seeing that there are forks in the road between rationalism and mythology. And actually, these forks are a lot more detailed. They're a lot more nuanced. Now, when we talk about astrology and we say, well, it's not scientific or it's not rational, that's like we're taking a whole bunch of, a a collection of roads that are down in Dallas and comparing them to some of the roads up in Montana. Of course it doesn't fit. Of course it doesn't make sense. Of course it's very easy to prove it wrong. And that's what's happening when we describe what's happening with astrology. Now... It might sound like that I'm saying astrology and religion is something that is used between one station to another station on our journey from birth to adulthood through psychological development. But actually, there's this curious thing that happens. Because if we go back to our train and and keep the road analogy with you for a few more minutes because we'll talk about that some more. Once we arrive in Toronto and we've been at all the stations, there is a curious thing that happens. And it's a curious thing that happens if you are very lucky. If you are one of the... (laughs) Dare I say it? (laughs) Am I really going to say this? I think I am going to say this. (laughs) If you are the chosen one, (laughs) then something will happen. This curious thing will happen. You'll get to Toronto and you'll say, whoa, what a trip. We came all the way from Montreal. There were 30 stations and we've learned about all these things. And if you're lucky and you've paid attention at each of the stations and you haven't become stuck in your ways, what you'll do is you'll say, okay, now I understand what's going on. 
now I have these experiences of transcending the self and now I understand that I have a sense of self and now I understand that at a certain stage I have a kind of ego and now I understand that the word emotions means something different at every stage. Let's go back and then start relearning properly what each station has at it. I'm going to catch a train back from Toronto all the way to Montreal and I'm going to stop at every station. And the funny thing is that when you get to the astrology station, you're going to meet people who are on the station waiting for a train going the other way. And this really is curious because it's actually quite literal, isn't it? Isn't it strange that you can get, like, is, just, is this just my eccentric mind being weird again? Like, we're at a train station and it's busy and we get on the train and there are all sorts of different kinds of people. And yet we're going from the same place to the same place. We're all different ages, we're all different classes. Some of us speak different languages. We all have different intelligences, we have different complex like we're, the, the uniqueness of each of us is 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 unfathomable. And yet we're all on the same train. And there is this funny thing that happens, I think. I've had this. I mean, I've, I've had a couple of long train trips in my life never one as long as montreal to toronto i've had i've had a long bus ride <laughs> i did a i did a bus ride from lima peru to argentina <laughs> which is considerably more than montreal to toronto <laughs> and this curious thing happens which is at a certain point in the in the trip there's there's a sort of eerie community you don't even have to say anything to anyone but this is sense of collective happening this feeling like oh we've all been in this together we've all been on this bus for so long and that's just something that comes to mind but more on topic is we get to our astrology station and then we have two people talking about astrology but one's done all the stations ahead and they've come back to relearn astrology and the other is learning astrology for the first time and they're using it as a psychological step or a propellant for their perspective understanding. Now, the person who really understands astrology and has gone into it might not necessarily know about all the other stations. So there's a difference between Someone who knows something deeply and someone who can put it into a bigger picture and see how it relates to a lot of other things. And that's a difference to be aware of. Because to the person who doesn't know about all the other stations that are coming, it's going to sound like they're talking to this person who does know what's coming and they're both talking about astrology and they're both talking about it as if it's real, as if it's true. And yet they both have vastly different defini well, I want to say definitions there. They unknowingly have a different 
understanding of what is true. Because the guy that's been all the way up to Toronto and back again is saying, yes, astrology is true. It can be useful. I'm embracing it. I'm open-minded. I want to learn all I can about it. And the guy that is on his way from Montreal to Toronto for the first time is sort of, well, he's still figuring out everything. He might not even be open-minded. He might be, well, he might be stuck in his ways and he might be clinging to his astrology. He might already be arrested at that stage and he's saying, yes, this is my worldview. This is what works for me. Or he might already be a rationalist. He might say, no, 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 this isn't right. And so the rationalist or the atheist who's saying, no, 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 this isn't right. We need real science, dismisses both the person who is, in a sense, inexperienced and gullible and just swallowing their astrology. And also they dismiss the person that understands how astrology fits into the bigger picture. And that's exactly what I mean by, yes, astrology is true, depending on what you mean by true. (laughs) So when we get back to our roads, there's another reason why, when we get to the analogy of East Coast, West Coast America being simple on one side and complex on the other, or from one to complex to one again, with our bitumen roads. Now, there's another reason why we make this train trip back to the lower stages, which is that each explanation or each psychological stage has effective and ineffective ways of explaining certain things. And that is how things such as how, I want to say systems, but it's not really a system. We could say it's a belief system. Yeah, okay, let's for now call it a belief system, but we really could just call it a psychological system. Let's call it a belief system. Let's say that the the birthing and the dying of the belief system of astrology in a person occurs as it effectively explains what is happening to them and as their as their, uh, as their sense of self carries them along on their journey. And what you can do, this, this would be like getting to two-thirds of across the way to almost to San Francisco in America when and what happens then is things become more complicated. There's a, there's a certain point where things become very complicated and you're dealing with things such as energy and you're dealing with things such as emotions and you're dealing with existential understanding and you've transcended the mind and these rational, these long rationalizations and these stories aren't helping you anymore. And you're really going beyond the mind. When you get into that sort of territory and you're also making your trip back down into the lower stages of development for the purposes of understanding them, you can then adapt them in a more nuanced way. And certain things are very adaptable. 
And not just astrology, we can say this about religion. Religion can actually adapt to rationality. And religion actually can adapt to pluralism. And even ration, uh, and even religion can adapt to a second-tier kind of thinking, a second-tier structure of thinking. So that would be multidimensional thinking. Now, understand that this is distinctly different from someone who holds on to their, their religion at the stage that they get it and then use it to explain away everything else. This is totally different. And yet on the surface, they look the same. And that's the trick. That's the trap. And when we talk about first tier or second tier thinking, that would be the equivalent of you turn up at Toronto and then all of a sudden you realize that your next step is going from Toronto to Vancouver. <laughs> That's what it's like. That's really what it's like. So for those of you who don't know the geography, well, it's 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 five hours from Montreal to Toronto, and it's over four days from Toronto to Vancouver by train. So if you know what a second tier shift is like, <laughs> then you can understand this you can understand this metaphor, right? Am I right? And if you if you don't have the second tier shift yet, well, basically heavy shit is going to happen. <laughs> That's basically that's all we really need to say. <laughs> so if we're talking about spiral dynamics, this would be going from stage green to stage yellow. That's second tier. And if we're talking about Gene Gebser, then we're talking about going from pluralistic to integral. And if we're talking about Abraham Maslow, then we're talking about doing, shifting into being or actualizing, which is the lower pyramid of Maslow, into realizing, which is the upside-down pyramid that they have. So that's like first tier and second tier. Yeah, so... I think we should dig more into... Yeah, I, we've, hit the, we've hit the metaphors over the head enough, I think. And I think we should... I really think we should dig more into the mystical realm and some of these more complicated states because if you're if you can follow this along and you've listened this far and it's making sense to you then you're probably ready to start doing this thing of using the lower systems for multidimensional reasons. It's so funny how words are, aren't they? It's just like such a trip to let me try and put it let me try and put it in a few different ways so that you can get the essence of it. Because every every word I use 
has been already sort of diluted by a different definition that doesn't quite fit. So if we call it, let's say it's like a belief system, then we're entering into a belief system from the outside purposely to utilize it. And what we utilize it for is basically opening up new things to us, finding new things. And another way of saying it would be, well, let's enter into a psychology. Let's enter into words that go with a stage of consciousness development. And I don't even want to use the word consciousness. That's already a bit too confusing. Let's say we have... Yeah, I don't I don't know if this is making things any more clear or not, but there there's us, our sense of self, and then there are the systems or the beliefs or the psychologies. And we're going into them to well to master them, to open up to new things and to complexify our understanding. And in the analogy of the roads in America, there are certain stages and certain things that we can get to better or worse depending on the system that we use. So when you're second tier and you're making your second round trip back from Toronto back to Montreal and back and forth and you're going that you're doing that trip over and over again and you're stopping off at multiple stations there's a certain stage where think things break down and you are relying more on your intuition and this happens when you have found a certain number of things through multiple paths and these have been significant to you. And you're really getting to the stage where it's not under your own steam that things are happening to you. You're really starting to let go of your autonomy. And you're really letting go of even yourself. So you're no longer on a train which is taking you. Or you're not no longer driving your own train. You're actually more just floating around. And when you get into this and you have a deep intuition, it comes along with a deep openness because you, of course, one of the biggest realizes, realizations is that every station has a truth to it and every system has a truth to it. So your openness and your suggestibility is very high it's very prominent in your being and right now well you can take a judgment as to how far off you are for that by remembering the very first thing i said to you today which which was that astrology is true now the kind of response you had to that and the kind of openness you had is an indication to where you are in relation to this place of being open, this place of being susceptible 
to this place of relying deep on your intuition. And if I can tell a story, I'd like to share some of my own experiences. Because, of course, this is exactly why I'm talking about this. And I reached this point, and there was a particular time, it comes and goes, of course, everything comes and goes, everything ebbs and flows, and there was a particular time where my intuition and my openness was very deep. It was at its, well, I want to, I want to say peak, but it's more like it was at its rock bottom, And this was when I was studying meditation at one of the Osho ashrams. And I'd been there for some time. And actually, you realize that an Osho mystery school is one of the schools that embraces every station. It embraces many truths. And that doesn't mean that Osho isn't afraid to say that, well, actually, most astrology is bullshit. And there is a lot of trash in astrology. But still, many things are embraced. And I was studying meditation there, and I'd done quite a few different groups and processes and things. And there was this lady who I had seen around and I had interacted with in a number of different collective meditative practices and techniques, but never really had a very long conversation with her. And this, well, I guess we could call this the story, Dosta Meets an Oracle. Because we were both very open and we both knew that we were very versed in these mystical processes. And I saw her dancing one day and she was just sort of dancing around. And she came over to me and she started dancing near me and being very playful and very silly. And she was an Asian woman, Chinese, I think. And we decided to go for tea and there there was nothing, it wasn't a romantic thing because I was how do we say, I was occupied at the time. (laughs) And she was actually about to leave, which I didn't know. I found out later that it was one of her last days. But we decided to sit down and have a conversation. And because we were meditators, there was actually a lot of silence in that conversation. And we sat and we just were comfortable being with each other. And she had an air of playfulness about her. And she looked at me and she said, you're a Gemini, aren't you? And I said, yes, how did you know that? And she said, well, I'm an astrology reader. And there's something very arresting about someone who can see something in you straight away without asking it. And this is an experience that you need to have at some point in your life, which is sitting down with someone 
and they tell you something about you and you have no idea how they knew it. She said, you're a Gemini and when were you exactly born? And I told her my birth date. And then she said, oh, so this is your star sign and this is your moon sign. And she started telling me about my moon sign. And I don't know if I want to share all the details there, but let's just say that there were things in that that resonated with me. And then she looked at me again. And by this stage, the conversation was, how do we say, very, I was very alert to the conversation. I was very on edge in a curious way, not in a defensive way, but I could see that there was something very, something very real and honest about this, this woman. And she looked at me again and she said, you were a warrior in one of your past lives. You have killed many people. And to this, I just sort of waited and checked to see how my reaction was. And she kept looking at me and she said, in another of your past lives, you were an emperor. And I sat there and I waited and I checked to see how I would feel. And then she said, have you still got all of your teeth? (laughs) And I thought, well, this is a very strange turn in the conversation. And I said, well, yes, I do have all my teeth. It's actually quite a crowded mouth in there. I have teeth sticking out all over the place. And she says, so you've never lost a tooth as an adult. You've never had one broken or fallen out. I said, no, I've got all my teeth. Never had my wisdom teeth out, but I was considering it. And she said, you are destined to speak to a large number of people. And speaking is something that is deep to you. And my response to this was, well, actually, you're right. Before I came here to study meditation, I was running a podcast and I was speaking to people. And it is something that means a lot to me. But I since quit doing the podcast, I don't do that anymore. I'm focusing more on meditation. And then she sort of lightened up and said, well, you can go back to it if you want or if you don't want. And that conversation was just like meeting a modern-day oracle. And it was quite astonishing for someone to see so much in me and have it resonate in such a way when really we'd had such few interactions. Like there's no, like the whole, the typical rationalist mind would be, or or really any sort of mind would be like, oh, there's an explanation for it. Maybe she asked her friends about you or, 
Maybe she's just making it up. Maybe she's just judging your personality. Maybe she's just judging your body language, these sorts of things. But these sorts of mind games, these sorts of psychologies are impoverished when you're associating to someone and you're moving through reality when you're and being guided by intuition. And when you're being guided by a deeper energy, you can't use thoughts. When you've transcended the mind, you can't use explanations. And in fact, if I had of if I ever tried to explain this interaction with this oracle, then it would collapse the meaning of it. It would collapse its effect. Now you see that I have used words to explain this story. I've told it to you as a narrative. I've told it to you in words. So still a little bit, a piece of it is coming across. It is being conveyed. But that is not the same as what it's like to be sitting in a chair with someone and to have a profound resonance with them and for them to tell you astonishing things which really there should be no way they should know. And the simple way of, or, or a, more, a more mature way would be to say, well, this is just another kick in my journey through reality. This is another spark of my inner world. Doesn't matter if it's right, doesn't matter if it's wrong. And I found out later that, well, this lady is an astrologist and she does astrology readings. And she's also a jeweler. And she uses jewelry in relation to her astrology to create a psychological situation or well, it's not really psychological, it's a let's say energetic. And we start to use the word energetic more and more, then you know we're in mystical terms. And energy is one of those words like emotion. <laughs> it means something depending on which station you're at, depending on where the station is. And of course, she traveled the world. She had businesses. She had friends. And she'd been to all sorts of festivals. And she really was a remarkable woman. I hope I see her again. There's a chance I'll see her again. So that's some thoughts on astrology. And I thank you for allowing me to share my personal story. And I hope I've made it a little bit more clear what it means to have multiple levels of train stations. <laughs> 
Which station are you at? You realize there's a whole globe for us to explore. We only got into the North Americas of Canada and America. (laughs) There are other continents out there. (laughs) An entire continent is waiting for you. (laughs) Don't worry, we'll get there in due time. When the time is right, in the right way. (laughs) All is well, as they say. (laughs) Okay, well... These conversations put a smile on my face. So let's finish up with a few minutes of silence. So if it's comfortable for you to do so, I invite you to sit down and close your eyes. Remain alert. Keep yourself present with what is happening right now. Remain alert. Listen to the sounds that are around. Listen to your thoughts. And feel what sort of energy is within you at the moment. Is there anything swirling? Is there anything flowing? Is there anything buzzing? Is your energy stagnant? Is your energy stuck? And whichever way it is, whichever words you like to describe it, whichever which way you like to notice it, just notice it. Just listen to your energies. And see if you can get in touch with your deeper intuition. It might be that you have some idea of what you want to do after this meditation, but that's not an intuition. That's an impulse. So just take the time to slow down And really be attentive to that deeper part of you, which is beyond the impulse. And there you will start to hear your intuition. And just sit quietly for a few more minutes. And that's all I have to say for now. (laughs) 